0: Good evening. I've turned off all the lights. I've dedicated the title of this sermon to John Swanger. Nah, that wasn't a lot of response. So happy Mother's Day. Um, Immediate permission. If this is the first you've heard that it's Mother's Day, Y'all have my permission to leave right now and go call your mother. Please. Since it is Mother's Day, I am going to take the um, privilege of showing you my daughters. There they are. Um, <laughs> you might have met them. On that side is Beth. She married an Englishman. She lives in Billingshurst, West Sussex, and she, does, she is starting to talk like in Brit. And Rachel is at the University of Pennsylvania, and uh, Beth knit the minions for Rachel to help her in her lab work because everyone who does lab work needs some minions to help, right? So, but the thing is, we didn't—we didn't come by either of these girls easily at all, um, and I have not cleared these stories with my husband. but uh, That's life. I'm in trouble. Um, Like most young married couples, we tried very hard not to have children. And then after a few years, we found ourselves trying very hard to have children. And about six years into marriage with no children and a little bit of testing, a little bit of medical advice, being told we probably wouldn't have kids, we thought, yeah, okay, that's all right. We moved overseas and we started traveling. I mean, that's what you can do when you don't have kids, right? And I do remember um, being on a tour in Israel, being at a rather posh hotel restaurant where we had to dress nice and getting in a discussion with a rabidly Pentecostal pastor, which turned into a very loud discussion, which turned into an argument, which he was saying to me, well, the reason you don't have children is you didn't tell God. You need to tell God what you want. Name it and claim it. And I'm arguing back with him. I am not telling God anything. God knows my heart. God knows my desires, but God is God. I am not telling God. And this is getting louder and louder. And uh, his last line was, well, I'm gonna pray for you. And I said, go ahead, pray for me. I was pregnant the next month (laughs) and I never let him know. So after after Beth was born I loved motherhood and I really really wanted another child. And a few more years nothing. We went into it head on. We were, you know, full on press. We we're doing the medical stuff, treatments, medicine, timing, I mean, you name it. Some of this stuff is really really demeaning. Most of it is really really expensive. Um, it causes a tremendous amount of stress individually and in the marriage. I need you home now. I'm in the middle of faculty meeting. I don't care, now. what are you gonna do? Um, And there's these questions that come in your mind. You know, it's, we have a child, we're good parents. It's, It's God's will, isn't it? I mean, it's a good thing to want more kids, but it's so freaking expensive. Should we be spending thousands of dollars on this? And it's at times fracturing our relationship. I mean, at times, I remember getting to the point of thinking, I can have a child. I can adopt a child with or without a husband. He laughs now. (laughs) (laughs) But that's, I mean, that's the perverse way my mind started going with this obsession. And, you know, these are tough calls. And it's time after time. Do you want to do this next step? Do you want to do this next step? Do you want to do this? Do you want to pay for that? Do you want to be responsible? And, like, you know, you can't pick up the Bible and find a verse that tells you what to do in these situations. These are tough calls. And it's, it's really hard to know are you following God or are you playing God? And it's really hard to know. the the whole trust issue. You wanna think it's an anomaly. This is gonna go on the podcast, it's great. You wanna think it's an anomaly when you go into the hospital one day and the little tech says, have you had your right ovary removed? Not since I was in yesterday and you did the exact same test. I can't find it, it's there. (laughs) Or, true story, I am feet away from a doctor impregnating me with the wrong sperm. And she had mistaken me for someone else before. You want to trust, but you begin to wonder. They say one in five children born is Chinese. That could have been my chance, (laughs) but I blew it. You know, so tough calls, right, wrong. Do I trust? Is this person incompetent? well, does this actually tie into the text? Yes, it does. <laughs> Lest you thought this was just the Fran comedy hour tonight. When we look at the life of Saul, it is really complex. Sometimes we see him and he is right on target. He prophesied when Samuel said he would prophesy. He, the spirit of Lord came on him and he fought the Ammonites when they were attacking and threatening. Israel, he was on target fighting the Philistines. And other times we see him and he is so off base, so off base. Um, He's impatient, he's impetuous, he couldn't wait for Samuel to show up to offer the sacrifices one day, so he assumes the priest's role and does it himself. Um, He gets mad at Samuel when Samuel calls him out on it and he fires Samuel, hires another priest. Um, that priest is offering prayers and seeking God's will before the battle that we began studying last week. And Saul's just shh shh, shh and takes off without, without determining the will of God and just jumps right into the battle. So at times he's on target and other times he's just, he's off base. It's, it's complex, tough calls, right or wrong. You kind of want to give him credit, but Saul's building a reputation here. Um, sometimes he's, he's, fu- he's full of God, and other times he is just a spiritual dimwit. He just doesn't seem to get it. To recap where um, Craig, t- Craig had us last week, okay. Saul's son Jonathan and his armor bearer are scouting out Philistine outposts because Israel is at war with the Philistines. The Philistines had invaded their land. Economically oppressing them, murdering, rampaging, worst of all, bringing their false gods and idolatry into the villages of Israel. Israel had to do something about it. Jonathan and his armor bearer start this battle. And Saul, a few miles off, hears the sound of the battle, asks the priest if they should get involved, then dismisses the priest and gets involved anyhow. So we're in the same battle this week. And the miraculous thing about this battle, if you could just lop a couple thousand feet off, because we're talking Israel, Central Plains, El, and Central Plains and hilly country, elevation of maybe 2,000 feet. But if you could imagine, in a day, starting a battle in Golden and going up and down the hills to Black Hawk, about 20 miles away, that was the battle Israel fought that day against the Philistines, greatly outnumbered. Philistines with massively better weapons, and God gave the victory to Israel. That's a heck-long battle. That's a lot of land to get in a day. So the story we're going to read about today is that same battle, a little bit of, oh, by the way, what went on during that day. And I'd like to read the passage through, and again, because it's Mother's Day, and I wanted to entertain you. We will find occasional illustrations from the brick Bible, which is basically the Lego Bible, but they can't use the word Lego, I think. So those are in there just to entertain you. So I would like to read through this, so please read along with me from 1 Samuel 14. Same battle. Now the Israelites were in distress that day because Saul had bound the people under an oath, saying, Cursed be anyone who eats food before evening comes, before I have avenged myself on my enemies. So none of the troops tasted food. The entire army entered the woods, and there was honey on the ground. When they went into the woods, they saw the honey oozing out. No one put his hand to his mouth because they feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father had bound the people with an oath because he had started this battle several miles away. So he reached out the end of his staff that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb, raised his hand to his mouth, and his eyes brightened. Basically, he was re-energized nice go ahead then one of the soldiers told him your father bound the army under a strict oath saying cursed be anyone who eats food today that's why the men are faint jonathan said rather understated here my father has made trouble for the country see how my eyes brightened when i tasted a little of this honey how much better it would have been if the men had eaten today some of the plunder they took from their enemies would not the slaughter of the Philistines have been even greater? That day, after the Israelites had struck down the Philistines from Michmash to Ajalon, they were exhausted. They pounced on the plunder, and taking sheep, cattle, and calves, they butchered them on the ground and ate them together with the blood. <laughs> okay. Then someone said to Saul, Look, the men are sinning against the Lord by eating meat that has blood in it. Strict. Strict. Law, strict law given by God, do not eat meat with blood. You have broken faith, he said. Roll a large stone over here at once. And then he said, go out among the men and tell them, each of you bring me your cattle and sheep and slaughter them here and eat them. Do not sin against the Lord by eating meat with blood still in it. So everyone brought his ox that night and slaughtered it there. Get a big stone, lay the animal over it, blood drips out. Great. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first time he had done this. Saul said, all right, y'all right, y'all, y'all had some food. Let's go fight all night. Let's go down and pursue the Philistines by night and plunder them till dawn and let us not leave one of them alive. Do whatever seems best to you, they replied. And this is where, don't we wish we had an audio recording? We have no idea what the tone of voice is. We'll talk about that. But the priest said, let us inquire of God here. So Saul asked God, shall I go down and pursue the Philistines? Will you give them into Israel's hands? But God did not answer him that day. Saul therefore said, come here, all of you who are leaders of the army, let us find out what sin has been committed today. And surely as the Lord who rescues Israel lives, even if the guilt lies with my son Jonathan, he must die. But not one of them said a word. Saul then said to all the Israelites, you stand over there. I and Jonathan, my son, will stand over here. Do what seems best to you," they replied. Then Saul prayed to the Lord, the God of Israel, "Why have you not answered your servant today? If the fault is in me or in my son Jonathan, respond with Urim, but the men of Israel are at fault. Respond with Lumen." Saul and John, Jonathan and Saul were taken by lot, and the men were cleared. Um, Craig had said last week that the priest wore an apron-type thing with stones. And we don't know exactly how this process worked, but some combination of rolling the stones and the colors that turned up would give a yes answer. Maybe they were all one color, like black. A no answer, maybe they were all white. Or a no answer. Maybe the colors were mixed. We don't know the exact process, but somehow with prayers under the priest's authority, this is how they cast the lots. Saul said, cast the lot between me and Jonathan, my son. And Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. And here's another interesting problem. In Hebrew, they didn't do punctuation. So we don't know. We don't know the tone of voice, and we don't know if this is a statement or a question. Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the end of my staff, and now I must die or I must die. Saul said, May God deal with me ever so severely if you do not die, Jonathan. But the men said to Saul, Should Jonathan die? He who has brought about this great deliverance in Israel? Never. As surely as the Lord lives, not a hair of his head will fall to the ground, for he did this today with God's help. So the men rescued Jonathan, and he was not put to death. So Brick Bible entertainment. Now I'd like I'd like to go back. And Look through this So you see the complexity of Saul here you see the complexity in every one of the characters you see the complexity in the text We don't know what tone of voice. We don't even know if it's questions or statements But what we do know is Saul is building a reputation isn't he for his impulsiveness his impatience Sometimes it seems like he is following God There are times when it seems like he's trying to play God First thing is his impulsive curse that comes at the beginning of this passage. Well, this curse is nowhere in Scripture. God never commanded soldiers to fast as they fought. It could be that Saul's intention was to sort of make up to God for having disrespected the priest a couple hours earlier. It could be that he's posturing himself, posing as a very pious leader, you know, cursed be any man and, and the victory that we get today will obviously be God's because we're not even going to eat. We could be trying to manipulate his troops and scare them because we don't know what this curse is. It's like, ooh, God's going to get you, but we don't know how. We, don't know, we really don't know his intention, but it cannot be backed up from scripture. This was, this was Saul's decision to lay this curse out. Not gods. Jonathan didn't hear it. And when Jonathan does hear it, after having eaten some of the honey, he has this understatement my father has made trouble for the country. Um, and I can just picture battle raging all around him as he makes this comment. Um, he knows the benefit of eating if you're going to be frickin' fighting all day, especially in country as hilly as they were going up and down through. The interesting thing in Hebrew, thank you, Dr. Ellen Delaire at Seminary, who helped me with this, was that the word in Hebrew for cursed, A-R-U-R, is very similar for the word for brightened, ur. Ar-ur-ur. Saul curses his troops, Jonathan, in a way, finds a cure around that curse, all you have to do is take out the S, and we all know who the S is in this story. Ba-boom. But this phrase, you know, there is trouble. Um, Achan had caused trouble back in Joshua's days when he broke the law, he died. Jephthah caused trouble when he was one of the judges and his daughter died. When someone causes trouble, someone dies. This is a bad sign here that Jonathan uses that understatement. Did he think that, ooh, I've broken my father's command. I am going to die? Or was he thinking, my father is just messing with these troops. He cannot treat them that way. Um, There's going to be a giant rupture. The battle rages. The troops are famished. Um, Finally, it's evening, and they pounce on the plunder. And they are almost like the brick Bible shows, just dragging raw pieces of meat and eating. They are so hungry, so thirsty. Someone informs Saul, and he is outraged. And he says, stop eating meat with blood in it. That is strictly against God's law. The blood was to be drained because the life was in the blood, And you are only to eat meat that had been fully drained of its blood. Slaughter them over this rock or this altar, and then they will be pure for eating. Well, is this Saul just posturing himself again? Look what I'm doing, God. Hey, hey, see? See what they were doing? See what I'm doing? Hey, 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 look at me. Or is he being sincere here? Don't break the law of God. And here it seems like he's right on target. This is God's law. And all you have to do is throw the animals over a rock, let the blood drain. Troops do not be so impulsive that you eat without following God's law. This guy is so complex. He's on, he's off, he's on, he's off. Um, and I, I love this part when they down all their food, and he's like, let's go pursue them all night long. <laughs> I don't know, man, if you had just fought a battle from Golden to Blackhawk, would you feel like going on to Central City that night? I don't know. And I wish we had punctuation or tone of voice. Do whatever seems best to you. And you wonder, were the troops 100% behind him like Jonathan's armor bearer? I will follow you up the cliff, I will follow you heart and soul, which was the attitude the armor bearer had last week, or are they like, whatever, whatever. You're, you're the general, you're the king. You say fight, we got to fight. Were they demoralized or were they enthused to follow their leader? This is confusing. There's too many options here. The priest, Ahijah, interrupts, this time maybe could you let me seek God's will? You kind of shut me up and started the battle without me last time. And uh, Saul says, sure, sure, let's. Let's consult God and see what he says about this nighttime battle. But God won't give a clear answer when the stones are cast. Saul rightly assumes if God is not answering, there is a problem. But I got to wonder, is Saul more sincere in asking God to reveal where the sin was Or is he just pissed that he's been embarrassed publicly in front of his troops because God won't give an answer to his prayer? This is one of the very, very, very few places we ever see Saul even try to communicate with God. And his communication is, give me an answer. We don't, you know, like, think about David who comes next. Psalms, confessions, praise, so much communication with God. And here we see Saul say, give me an answer. And he doesn't get it. And he knows something's wrong, but he's so dim, he jumps down the wrong trail of trying to figure out what it is. He's very embarrassed, no doubt. So you're hoping now, okay, throw those lots and we'll get Saul. And it doesn't happen. It gets, you know, the lot falls to Jonathan. Jonathan, what did you do? As surely as the Lord lives you know, if it's you, you're gonna die. And here again, we wish that we knew Jonathan's tone of voice. Is he being very sincere? I broke, the, I, I broke the rule, Father. I must die, or seriously, I must die. I don't know. How many of you vote for sincere? He's ready to die. How many? Of you, okay, dead. How many of you go for sarcasm? Yeah. Okay. Saul is building a reputation here. There was nothing in the law that allowed him to offer that curse. And his son is building a reputation, too, as calmer, more methodical in battle, more attuned with seeking God. And the amazing thing is, up to this point, the troops had said nothing. They were letting this play out. Really? Thanks for the support, guys. But finally, when Saul says, that's it. You know, may God deal with me ever so severely if you do not die, Jonathan. Finally, the men speak up. The entire troops, in a sense, mutiny against their general and their king. And they say, with the same words that Saul had used, as surely as the Lord lives, not a hair on his head will fall to the ground. He did this today with God's help. The troops, it seems, realized they realized that there is no way they should have won this battle up to this point. They had two swords for the entire army, right? Because the Philistines were in charge of all the blacksmiths and had taken away all the metal weapons. Everybody else was out there with a club against outnumbered by the Philistines who had metal weapons and chariots. There's no way, except by the will of God, they should have won. And there is no way, at this point, they are going to let the leader who seeks God be killed by the impulsive, maybe even jealous, father. So in hindsight, we see that Saul was very rash in making this vow, this curse, cursed be anyone who eats today. But he was absolutely right on when he spoke about the proper way to eat the food that they had taken in the plunder. And he was just plain old crazy, I think. So full of pride, so so desperate to save face, backing himself into a corner, and instead of confessing and getting out, backing himself farther and farther into his own... Self preservation and face saving techniques. It's just crazy. He was willing to kill his son rather than say, I overstepped my my words, spoke more than I should have. And we can feel for a second at least feel sorry for Saul. I mean there's a battle ranging around him. There's no precedent on how to be king. This is new stuff for all of them. Except for the fact that Saul had wise people around him, including his son. He had the priests around him, Samuel, until he dismissed Samuel. He had every opportunity for prayer, but he used it only to demand an answer from God. He had the law. He obviously knew the Bible to date because he could follow some of its ordinances. He had the spirit of God available to him. It had come on him before in power. And yet here he was just impulsive, self-serving Saul out there on his own two legs rather than resting on all the power and authority and ability that God himself could give toward leadership. So even in the heat of the moment, I don't really think Saul had any excuse for his... By the end of this story, we can see his relationship with God is mediocre. His relationship with his son is suffering, and his relationship with his troops is diminishing also. For the sake of saving his own face, he's backing himself further and further away from everyone and every opportunity God's been giving him. Which leads us to some conclusions that we can take away from this, even if we're not battling Philistines. Point number one, we can do good things for God and have a poor relationship with God. Saul had a a bit of, just a bit of magical thinking going on. You know, get the ark here, have the priest pray. Oh, never mind, I'll, I'll take it from here. I'll get into the battle and I'll handle it from here. He could posture himself well. He could pose. And I'm, I'm afraid we do the same thing at times. We can say really good godly things. And we can do really good acts of service. And yet privately, on our own, we can have Zippo relationship with God. We know how to act the part on the outside. And I'll say for myself, I know sometimes it's not there on the inside. I was just thinking this weekend, the last six months or so of my life have been, they've been really hard and challenging. I have confronted sin issues in my life. I've confronted areas that need deep healing. And I liken it this way. As soon as something like that you know, comes to my consciousness, three things take off at once. One is the desire to deny it altogether. <laughs> it's not happening. It's not happening. Um, two is a desire to seek healing, You know, to, to go after this, to deal with this issue, to deal with this sin. But the third strand of energy use that I know I have is working harder to keep up a good appearance. I'm fine. God and I are fine. Everything's fine. And I suspect we all have that tendency. Having recognized sin in our lives or found an area that's raw and hurtful, part of us wants to deny it, part of us wants to tackle it, and part of us wants to make sure that we save face in front of others that we still continue to look good. And that's gonna impede healing. Another point I think we can take out of this is, feelings alone cannot be trusted to reveal God's will. I am sure Saul was not being, well, no, I'm not even sure really to say that. I hope Saul was not being malicious, just stupid. You know, when he impulsively makes this curse. We're not eating until the battle's over, guys, let's go. I'm sure he would say, it felt like the right thing to do. And the number of times I hear people say, it felt like the right thing to do. I felt like God was telling me. What else? What else? Saul could have called on scripture. Saul could have called on the priest. Saul could have called on wise companions. Saul could have called on the knowledge that he had of the Lord, the Holy Spirit. What else did he call on? He felt that it was the right thing to do. And I would implore every one of us never to go on feelings alone. But what else backs up what you feel God is telling you? Because I'll tell you something. The intensity of your feelings will not change whether something is right or wrong. I want to go over here right now and punch Chris because I feel that's what I want to do. I can feel it really, really really strongly, and it's never gonna be the right thing to do. So the intensity of feelings will not change wrong to right or right to wrong. Um, Craig warned us last week to be very, very careful if we ever start the conversation with, well, God said. Now God does speak to us, I know, but in that Own your responsibility and the possibility that you might have misheard him. And do not think that laying it on God will then obligate him to do it your way to save his face. No, you are the one who will lose face if you try to put it on God and it is not his will. I remember um, there was a time when a certain staff member and I had... A bit of a disagreement, and I will not mention the staff member by name, because he is not among us for a few months. To defend himself, but it was it was right before morning church, and I was convinced that this was going to happen, and all of a sudden I look, and that is happening. And I'm like, "What did you do?" He goes, oh, "That's what my gut told me," and so my gut is telling me 180 degrees opposite. And I'm thinking, that's an awful lot of gut from both of us speaking right there. (laughs) Well, what the heck? Who cares what our guts were saying? Whose gut is right, you know? There's got to be more than how you feel to back up. If God is going to reveal it to you, he will confirm it through others, through his word, through the circumstances. Um, Please, just don't go alone only on feelings. Point three. We cannot win God's favor through a pious action if that action is disobedient or, bottom line, just self-serving. Saul had a terrible problem waiting on God. He didn't like waiting and the tension. And the temptation for all of us at the same time is to jump to a conclusion. Now, I'm not saying we necessarily jump to a bad conclusion, Back to our, my example of what do you do with infertility? Lots of good reasons to pursue it. We could be decent parents. We have wonderful communities in which to raise our kids. Lots of good reasons not to pursue it. Very expensive, very demeaning. It can be as much of a strain on the marriage as having the kids themselves. Can't find chapter and verse to tell you what to do. The difficulty is living in the tension and waiting on God to give guidance. We often want to just jump out of that pain and just get to an answer. I don't know if I should ask her out or not ask her out. Well, it's probably not morally right or wrong whether you ask her out or don't ask her out, but you can't stand the wait Of seeking God, so you make the decision. I don't know whether I should go back to school or keep working. Well, there's pros and cons. But having the patience to wait on God? And should there ever be a case where you can actually, you know, try to cover up um, disobedience through pious action like Saul did a couple weeks ago when he offered the sacrifice that Samuel was supposed to offer, and his excuse was... I just wanted to bring God into the picture. And Samuel's like, yes, but that's not your role to do it that way. Um, Sometimes we can cover up an act of disobedience with an awful, smooth-sounding piety. And often, we are unwilling to wait on God. Um, The... uh, an example that I think of comes out of Matthew 15. It's an obscure little little passage where um, Jesus starts yelling at some of the religious leaders because they are donating all their money to their religious community and not taking care of their aging parents. That sound, you know, donating everything I have to the community sounds very pious. And he's all over them, because there is no other way for these parents to be supported except through their children. And they say, well, it's Corbin. It's dedicated money. And he's like, sin. Sin. Sounds good. Sounds great, guys. But higher priority, care for the family. So we do have to take care that the decisions we make are in God's timing, and that we're not just putting a veneer of piety over what we want to do. And if we just went on feelings, that could happen. A couple more points. When we want to sin, we tend to avoid community. Yeah, we're all like, <laughs> <Yep>. huh. <laughs> um, Leonor, I wish she was here to illustrate it because it just doesn't look the same when I do the slink away dance that she was doing in staff meeting the other day. Looked a lot better when she did it. But yeah. I'll I'll confess to this. When I know I want to do something against God's will, I am not going to tell you about it. In fact, I will probably avoid you as I plan it. Different lines like, well, God's leading me to go to another church. God's leading me to spend more time alone with him. God's leading me to be less dependent on my friends. Now, all of them can be true. But if you're using it as an excuse to avoid accountability, you know, you guys can see it in each other. And so don't think we don't see it in you. Every one of you know, we are, you know, I think with the spirit in us, we're all rotten liars. So, you know, this is what we try to do. Saul was willing to back away from his troops, from his priest, from his... Family, from his, you know, all to revel in his own obstinance. Let us not do that. Because, last point. It says, when we see somebody avoiding community, go after them. Y'all have probably heard the joke, goes back to my generation, about, oh, let me share a prayer request with you which is Christian lingo for let me share some gossip with you. I think we have a new phrase for the 21st century that's Christian lingo, and it's called, I don't want to judge, which I think is Christian lingo for I don't want to get involved. I don't want to be responsible. If you see somebody backing away from Christian relationships, relationships with God, go after them. Find out why. Jump in, be responsible. These troops that basically mutinied against Saul took that risk. There is power in numbers there. But there is power in the numbers of community that we have here. So if you see a dear friend slinking away, go after them and let the community be with you in prayer. I don't mean in gossip or in accusations, but in care and in responsibility for each other. We're gonna be going now into communion, which after a rather dismal sermon about a good example of a dire warning, is something that we really need to restore our souls. I honestly think that God puts really downer stories like this in scripture because we know we can read them in light of the grace and redemption he offers. And there's probably no greater symbol of remembering that death, that the depth of his grace, than the death of his son. When we have communion here, we're remembering Christ's body broken for us on the cross, Christ's blood spilled for us on the cross. We can bear the weight of the responsibility of our own sin and that of others because of the assurance that pardon has already been won and that we have the resources of God, the example of Christ, the life of the Holy Spirit, the Bible, the community, thousands of years of church history, more thousands of years of biblical history that reveal to us the ever-loving and pursuing character of God as he seeks us out. Our practice here at SCUM is if you are pursuing Jesus, if you are pursuing a relationship with God, it doesn't matter if you're pursuing it with your fist clenched because you're mad at him or if you're just absolutely not sure and you're desperate to find out. If your direction is toward God, we invite you to participate with us round the table, metaphorically speaking, of communion. Tear off a little piece of the bread that represents the body. Dip it in the cup of juice that represents the blood and receive the grace of God. And let me and during the time of communion, there will be folks in that room over there that we affectionately call the prayer cave, if you want to pray with someone at this time. So let me just pray right now as we get ready. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can have full confidence that you would never just leave us in despair. Never mock us for our sins, our indiscretions, our stupidity. But always you redeem us. You always offer redemption. We thank you now for this very strong and potent symbol of your love for us as we receive the body and blood of Christ. Be with us. Be with us as individuals and in this community to show a greater love for you. Amen.